Hiya, and welcome to From Stratford to Singapore. I'm your host, Anne Morgan. I'm from Stratford in Manchester, and never in my life did I expect to be propelled halfway across the world and end up living in Singapore. I've started this podcast to share the stories of others who find themselves moving overseas. How do they make it work? How do they reinvent themselves? How do they overcome inevitable difficulties? And what happens if they have to move back to their home country? Everyone has a unique story, and I hope you enjoy listening to some of them. Today, my guest is Mary Ferrante, who left her close-knit Italian-American family in Michigan and relocated to Singapore for love. Ah yes, love is all you need. In this episode, Mary talks about overcoming the pain of leaving your family when you relocate overseas, and she gives us some very useful practical advice about how to settle into a new country and the strategies you can put in place to find a job. Mary, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Anne. You're welcome. So what, are you, what were your first memories as a small child when you made that transition from Italy to America? Well, well I, was, I was four years old when we moved to, to Michigan, and I have the vaguest of memories, scraps of memories. So I remember um, arriving at my aunt's home uh, from the airport, and it was it was snowing, and I had to be carried by the taxi driver. So he lifted me on his shoulders and and brought me to the house. Um, I have vague memories of going to school as a five year old. Um, all the relatives that lived in my aunt's house because we all arrived at different stages, and that was where we all stayed initially until we you know, found our footing and then moved into our own homes. My goodness, that must have been an incredible hub of, our, <laughs> of the family the, with the matriarch. Yes, and... it was the, my grandmother, the matriarch, and three of her children and their families in, uh, in, in actually a two-family uh, home in, in Detroit, Michigan. So, yeah. and, and when you went to school, did you speak English? No. No, I learned, I learned by going to school. So I was already, well, I was already fluent in Italian, as fluent as a, as a four-year-old can be, but I learned um, at school wow. in a short amount of time. Once you're immersed into um, a culture that speaks certain language, as a child, you will pick it up very quickly. And how did, it, how did the two communities come together? Or did you find that... Really, with so many people, and so not only people, but your family, so close together, mm -hmm. did you look beyond the family for friendships and, and community, or was it very much entrenched inside you know, the, 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 the bonds that you already had? Mm -hmm. I, I think, well, as a child, you're kind of limited. You have your school friends, and then your family is your, your network, your your world socially. For my parents, they really relied on each other. They didn't venture out that much. At the time, they spoke um, zero English, and it was harder for them. So they were able to get jobs through contacts. And, and they were both, both my parents were 
uh, tailors. My mom was a seamstress, my dad was a tailor. So there wasn't a lot of English required in what they did. So it was an easy transition once they found the job to work. But they relied heavily on their family for, the, uh, for, the, for their support system. Yeah, and how did that evolve over the years? How did they hmm. learn and, and integrate into the community, into the wider community? Yeah. Or did they ever really do it? Very limited, because they never, when they first moved uh, to the US, they, they started taking some English lessons. They went to you know night, a night course, but they didn't stick with it because they didn't have to. Like I said, they were able to find jobs very quickly, um, make money, find a home. There was already a built-in uh, social network for them, an extended family, and then you meet other Italians. So they didn't venture out very much. I mean, they had friends or acquaintances at work. Those, those were their only American friends, really, um, and the occasional neighbor, but they don't, to this day, they never had American friends. They did not really integrate uh, the way I did. Yes, yeah, so do you think they must have relied very heavily on you as a kind of bridge between the family and the wider community? Yeah. What was it like for them when you came to them and said, I have fallen in love with a man who, oh who is not only not Italian or American, he's this hybrid of European, Malaysian, and we're going to go and live in Singapore. How did that go down? Oh, not very well. No. <laughs> well, they were conflicted because, first of all, I married late in life, and so I'm a woman in a very conservative Italian family. So of course, it's very important for me to get married, but I didn't. So when I finally met someone and became engaged, they were thrilled. And it was only actually a little bit later that it came about that my husband had to move back to Asia for work and I would be joining him. So it was very bittersweet. They were happy for me, but it was tearing them apart because I was leaving. Yes. Oh, yes. I can and, only imagine yeah. the, 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 the conflict, really. On one hand, the happiness, that, that you had found happiness, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that was a, a, of great delight to them. Mm -hmm. But then the, 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 the child that they, ha the child and the woman that had been such an integral part in their in their lives mm -hmm. was then going to leave and not just leave to the next state <laughs> but actually leave to the other side of the world the other side of the world yes yeah yeah it was difficult it was difficult for them it was difficult for me um because we're a close-knit family and we did everything together and even when i lived on my own they were such a big part of my life i was there all the time we do all the holidays together you know my mom and i were uh, shopping buddies, um, church as a family. So every facet of my life involves my family. So it was a huge adjustment for me. Wow. And what were those first few months like when, when you'd gone through the, the emotional upheaval of saying goodbye and then you found yourself 
in a strange country. What were your feelings around that time? Well, it was um, a lot of different feelings. So um, newly married, so that was a very exciting time. Um, but at the same time, um, on my own, so no job initially. I didn't have a job for the first year that I lived in Singapore. So that was a very strange uh, situation for me because I had been working since I was 17, either full or part-time. So all of a sudden, um, totally dependent on someone else who's not my family um, in a strange country. It was, a, it was a hard time. It was a hard time. It, it, I look back on it. I don't think at the time I realized how how much I struggled. Um, I mean, I carried on. There was no, you know, no meltdown, uh, no hysteria. Um, but I, I struggled and I suffered silently. I'm just, you must be, and I, you know, do know you quite well, Mary, and I know you are very stoical. But what strategies did you use to get through that time? Now that you've had the benefit of, a, of um, some years of hindsight, mm. when you look back on that, what were the turning points that made it better? And what did you do to try and make sense of it and to try and make and forge a life in this new community? Mm. For me, um, I finally felt normal um, and settled in once once I got a job because having a job working was such a big part of my identity I didn't I don't think I realized how important it was to me until I got here and didn't have a job so um, and, and that took a while because my first year here was there was so much going on even though I wasn't working so I was distracted enough with other things that it wasn't easy to find a job or hold it down because I was traveling quite a bit. Um, so it wasn't until about a year later that I had some real time to spend in Singapore and could commit to a full-time job. Yes. So it, it, it is about finding something that makes you feel normal or gives you purpose. And how did you find your job? It was actually just through through word of mouth. I found out about the um, the career uh, resource center at the American Association through through friends, and I joined for the purpose actually just for the social aspect of it, um, if nothing else. And then through applying for jobs through their jobs board, um, I came across um, a job at the American Association very different from what I was doing before, but at the time it really wasn't about, um, in, you know, going up the career ladder in, in banking. It was about finding something that interested me and gave me a purpose and, and also gave me some spending money. That's always nice to have. Yeah, of course, yeah. a bit of independence, yes. you know, separate, a bit of normality, Yeah, really. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about the job that you, you got at the American Association. What did it involve? So it was um, an administrative job, and it was um, doing a little bit of everything. Um, working for uh, the Career Resource Center at the time meant 
being the, the gatekeeper between um, members of the American Association who were looking for jobs and the employers themselves. It was very manual, so I was uh, connecting people to companies. So it was a lot of um, talking to companies, finding out what they needed, and then talking to um, individuals. So you learned about what their background was, what they're looking for. It was a very interesting job. Um, it really it really made me realize at the time that I wasn't alone in how I felt, but it took my getting the job uh, to realize there was a whole world of people out there that was that were going through the same emotions and struggling the way I had been before getting the job. Yes, I, I, that that must have been fascinating, actually. Just you know, the, the, the uh, that whole um, experience of seeing that 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 there were so many people transitioning into the community, and when you when you were talking to them and, and interacting with them. What what did you find were their real um, pressure points? What what were people what were people really struggling with? I think um, as as a foreigner coming to to Singapore, you're always comparing. At least initially, you're comparing uh, what you had in your home country to Singapore, and there are a lot of professionals that come here but it's almost like starting over when you get here. So the fact that you were earning a, a big salary, you realize you couldn't necessarily make that here. The fact that you had all this great experience, even if you were willing to take a pay cut, didn't matter because sometimes you were overqualified and, and people kind of pushed you to the side because they thought you wanted too much money. So you were um, overlooked. Uh, so this feeling of, um, not fitting, not fitting in, not being wanted, even though you came from a background where you were successful in your career, in, in your job, all of a sudden you weren't. You were the same person, but all of a sudden you weren't wanted anymore. And how did people overcome that? How did they get wanted? How did they, how did they make that uh, transition from what they were before to accepting what they were being perceived as now and then moving forward to actually getting either a job or a space in a community that worked for them. What, what were the kind of strategies that people used to, to make that mm. happen? I think you have to um, just come to grips with the fact that it's a different environment and you can't command what you want. Um, so you need to give in some way so either be prepared to take a pay cut uh, to get your foot in the door of a company that you want to work for, or um, be willing to do something different. Maybe you were a banker and you can't be a banker here. You want to work part-time hours. You've got to look at your skill set and find out where you can fit in with your current skill set. So you have to be flexible. You have to be able to either accept less or do more for the same amount of money or learn a new skill. You've got to change, you've got to adapt. So really, Mary, what you're saying is the people who made a success of it were those who were adaptable, 
who had a degree of humility because they realised that holding out for what they had before was not going to work and they had that huge degree of flexibility and really I suppose a bit of a vision to reinvent themselves Mm -hmm. and be happy with the reinvention. Yes. The other side that I'm interested in as well is the social side. Mm. You know, how do you um, make friends and, and, and make, you know, make a mark on the community? And I think my um, observation of especially the, the American community is that they're just so incredibly active in lots of different areas, philanthropy, culture, commerce, you know, and yet they are also very strong within their own community. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously many events that are celebrated across the island, like the 4th of July and the George Washington Ball and golf tournaments and things mm-hmm. like that. It seems to be sort of a real mixture. Why, why do you think the Americans are so successful at that? I don't know. I don't know if it's, it's just in their nature. Um, Americans are, um, as a whole, generally speaking, um, they're outgoing, they're optimistic, uh, they're driven. And I think... Um, I think that plays well in um, in, in a foreign um, scenario where you've got to where you're depending on yourself uh, to do something, and it's it's a challenge. And, and Americans, I think, love a challenge and love to succeed. Yes, of so. course. And also, I think probably what's on um, you know what what what's not thought of so much is this sort of um, atmosphere the the optimism side Mm. of things Mm. and um you know how important do you think that is oh that's that is so critical um i think especially as um see it makes all the difference how you come to singapore if if you're brought here by your company then it's you know your your life is pretty much planned out for you you're here for a job you're going to do it. Most of your time is spent working, and then you have some hours of free time, right? But as the partner or as the wife, as the trailing spouse, you really have to work hard to carve out your existence. Otherwise, you can really just languish. So you've got to be optimistic and know that there is something for you. Some people choose not to work, and they're happy to enjoy the the downtime, the break that they wouldn't have otherwise in their home country. Um, other people need to recreate what they had, but you have to be, you have to keep going and you have to be optimistic that there is something there for you. People that want to find something will find something. Yes, I think what's always struck me is the energy that some people have. Now, you're right, absolutely. Getting a job is not for everybody, for a myriad of reasons you know it could be that they need the flexibility because of childcare. they want to travel to their homeland a lot mm-hmm. or you know any anyone or they just they have a skill set where it's it's difficult to to get paid employment mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that there aren't a, a lots of other opportunities to do things and right. you know some people take the the route of just sitting around and and, and getting quite depressed and then others seem to have more of a get up and go 
and an energy to to find things to do. Yeah. What do you think separates those two people? Is it just the sense of optimism? Is it is it something innate, or can you cultivate it yourself? Well, it, it might be a combination of both. Um, it could be that some people never had that kind of obstacle to overcome. And coming here, it's a lot more difficult. And they're not able to give it that extra oomph to, to take them to the next level. Um, and some people just are able to take the challenge and, and make something of it. Yeah. So what, what do you think are the small steps that people can take to make that difference when it's when they come and they may be quite overwhelmed with the differences. Yes. yes. They may find that they're just not meet, meeting the people that they want to meet or that they feel they can connect with. Mm. What small steps can people take to get them on the road to making this new community their home? Yeah. I, I think you have to know yourself and know what you want to do. Uh, it's very easy to say, you know, volunteer. But if that's not your thing, then that's not going to help you. So you, you do have to know what you want to do, know yourself, and then pursue it. I think connecting in some way with other people is critical. You've got to, you've got to talk to people. And if it means once a week, if it's not volunteering somewhere, maybe you need to take a course and improve um, uh, some skills or, um, you know, learn, learn a new language, learn a new skill, do something um, where you're working towards a goal, where you're seeing some benefit, seeing results. I think that's critical. Yeah, and, and I suppose doing all of those things gets you out and meeting people so that you're not spending too much time either in front of a screen or in your apartment or just on your own. It's that force, um, you know, actual physical getting out and yes. about and then actually talking to people. Yes, I think so. I think so. I mean, coffee coffee mornings are great, but... If you're used to working, do you really want to go to coffee mornings five times a week? No. So you've, you've got to balance it. You've got to give yourself some free time, but also you've got to give yourself some goals to achieve. And if it's not, if you know that you're not going to get a job, then you've got to think hard about what you want to do. Do you want to improve your skills for a future job, knowing that Singapore is not home forever? Um, so it does involve some reflection. Yeah, and, and a strategy. Yes. And, and an intentional strategy. Yes. No, that's, that's really good to know. And just, I wanted to, to ask you as well, Mary, your parents, um, did they ever visit Singapore? Yeah, that's always, my, my mother um, did once. Um, she and I traveled to Singapore before, before I got married, so she saw it. My dad never did, oh, sadly. Um, yeah. He was too stubborn. Um, the trip just seemed insurmountable to him. He just couldn't fathom uh, traveling that long to get anywhere. Yeah. So, <laughs> 
rather stubborn. He never made it to Singapore. Oh, that's yeah. That, that, yeah, that's yeah. a shame. But, yeah. but I think that the wonderful thing was, Mary, that you did get to, to go back to the States and, yes. and see, you know, see, see your parents quite often. So, you know, that, that's something as well that I think people, uh, you know, find out is how do you keep your, your family and friend relationships mm-hmm. going? at a distance right and and you know moving away there is always a payment for doing it yes. i think that has to be uh, that has to be acknowledged that things will change it it does involve change the relationships do not stay the same mm. and you know for some people that's quite a a shock when they realize that they're going to have to put in a lot more effort to make the relationship work. But what strategies do you think uh, work to, to do that, to keep those relationships alive? Yeah, I, I think um, whatever your favorite mode of communication is. I mean, for me, it was visiting um, my parents and going back to Michigan on a pretty regular basis. Um, and, and that kept me connected. Of course, in this day and age, it's so easy with um, with WhatsApp. You can you can communicate with people um, via text. You can call them very cheaply. Um, so there's there's different ways. I think it's just um, it's really quite individual. Whatever works best for you um, to stay connected. But at the same time, remember where you're at. It's it's not good to live in in the past. You're you're in Singapore. You've got you've made your life here for the moment. So live in the present. That's great advice, Mary. Live in the present, but make an effort to keep in touch with the people who've made your past. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, just to wrap up, finally, mm-hmm. uh, wonderful story. Um, you know, what would be your sort of top three or four tips about anybody contemplating a move across the world? Mm. Well, um, I would say you've got to keep an open mind. I think the worst thing you can do is compare where your new home is to your old home. Don't compare them. Every country has its benefits and it has its pros and cons. And it, it, it it does you no good to to compare to home all the time, and and three just enjoy the experience because most people don't get the opportunity to to travel and and see a different part of the world, and it's so it's so easy when you're when you're able to when you're assigned when you're stationed to a different country um, to. Um, to see something and and then have the security of being able to go back to uh, your home when you want to. So enjoy it. And that's a lovely way to end. Mary, thank you so much for, for being our guest today. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please do share with any friends who are living or thinking of moving overseas. You can see the show notes and references mentioned in the podcast by visiting our website at www.celebratingthestory.com. There's also some information on the website about how you can create a podcast 
to celebrate your own family or friends' stories. And finally, we'd love to hear from you, so please do leave us some feedback. Thank you for listening.